Uh, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. I told you last week I was going to preach a message. I did. I preached a message out of Isaiah chapter 9 and uh, we, uh, uh, verse 6. And uh, I told you I was going to preach another message out of the same verse. And that's the power of the Word of God, folks. Amen. You can never wear it out. And uh, many different truths, many different things you can pull out from it. And uh, last week we preached a message called the Two Sons of Christmas. We talked about the Son of God and the Son of Man. Uh, this morning I'm going to preach a message out of Isaiah chapter 9 and uh, verses 6 and 7. So if you find your place, stand with me together in reverence to the reading of the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 9 and beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it, with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever." The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for allowing us to be here in your house. Uh, Lord, again, how blessing it is, Lord, a blessing it is to be around your people, sing your praises, and now as we turn our attention to your word, I pray you'd speak to us this morning uh, through it. Lord, the folks came to hear from you today, and Lord, I pray that you would be active in our midst. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would uh, move amongst us. Lord, I pray if someone doesn't know you as personal Savior, they would accept you today before it's eternally too late. Those of us that are saved, I pray we'd allow the word of God to change us and help us and make us what we ought to be for you. And we'll love you and we'll praise you and give you the glory and honor for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to preach to you uh, from that phrase there in verse 6 where it says, His name shall be called Wonderful. I want to preach on this subject, the wonders of Christmas. The wonders of Christmas. You see, folks, when a person was given a name, uh, it, well, it meant something, particularly in the Scripture. As you go through, and you'll find that every uh, or the people's name in Scripture was associated with who they were or what they accomplished. For example, Abraham, his name means father of many nations. Ruth, her name means friend. James, the name means superior. Uh, we see the word Ichabod used there in the Old Testament means the glory has departed. Isaiah tells us here in the Scripture that his name shall be called Wonderful. And I know there's other titles there, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to get past this one, amen? Uh, there's so much to talk about and preach about. And so we're going to uh, look at this particular title of Christ, the name given to him, that of Wonderful. What's the word? wonderful mean? It means a miracle. It means a marvelous thing. That which causes wonderful, I like this definition, it means amazing. You know, a lot of times we use that word amazing for things that, truth be told, really aren't amazing, right? I mean, you know, you're, you, you, you are thirsty, you drink something cold, oh, that was amazing. Well, no, that just quenched your thirst. That really wasn't amazing, right? Let me tell you something, folks. When it comes to our Savior and who He is and what that name wonderful means, I'll tell you this, folks, it is amazing. Amen? It is amazing. Let's talk about the different wonderful things about Him, the wonders of Christmas. First of all, how could we not talk about this? Let's talk about His wonderful name. Amen? His wonderful name. Uh, of course, we see it mentioned here in verse 6, His name shall be called Wonderful. And uh, then uh, other places it tells us His name shall be called Emmanuel. Uh, there we see Mary and Joseph. His name was to be called Jesus. 
And uh, folks, all those things represent something about who He is and what He was going to do. As we chase it through the Scripture, uh, we find that His name is wonderful because of who He is. Amen? We find this in, in the Old Testament. He is the I Am when He spoke to Moses. He is the King of glory. He is the Shiloh. He is the great shepherd. He is the bright and morning star. He's the lily of the valley. He's the altogether lovely one. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the carpenter. He's the servant of Jehovah, the day star. He's the forgiver of sins. He's the anointed one. He's the great physician. He's the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the word of God. He's the babe born in a manger. He's the one that the wise men sought. He's the giver of life. He is the judge. He is the savior of the world. He's the almighty. He's Emmanuel, the gift of God, the holy one, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of glory, the redeemer, the true vine. Do I have time to go through all 700 of them? Amen. Because that's how many times attributes to him he's named about all throughout the scripture. Amen. You know what his name is? It's wonderful. Amen. It's wonderful. Let me tell you what we ought to be doing as Christians. We ought to be lifting up his name. Amen. I've said it. I'll say it again. Don't be ashamed of the name Jesus. Amen. Now, for, for the most part, uh, the culture has accepted the word God. And you can go around and you can say the word God, and truth be told, not really cause a lot of reactions. But I would tell you this, you go someplace and start saying, Jesus, that's going to cause a reaction. Amen? By the way, I like doing things that cause the world reactions. Amen? I tell you, you want to cause another reaction, take your King James Bible and take it with you. And just uh, next time you go in a restaurant, set it on the table before you eat. Amen? See what happens then. It'll cause a reaction. I can tell you that, all right? Let me tell you something, folks. His name is wonderful. Amen? The Bible tells us it's, it's at His name that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love His name. I like saying His name. I like lifting up His name. I like it being around when you walk in the church and look up on the wall right up there, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see His name. Amen? We're going to lift it up as His people because His name is wonderful. Amen? His name's wonderful. Not only does He have a wonderful name, and of course this is what we're celebrating this time of year, we're celebrating His wonderful birth. His wonderful birth. Now I made mention of this last week and I'll say it again, uh, but uh, uh, if you study uh, history a little bit, and you'll understand Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay, I hate to burst some of your bubble if you really thought that, but He wasn't. And uh, Jesus, of course, more than likely was probably born in the fall, possibly even the spring, but December 25th is just a day that we've set aside to celebrate His birth. And folks, let me say this. It may not be the exact day He was born, but what a wonderful birth it was. Amen? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. And I've said it already, and I've preached about it already, but I'm going to say it again. Amen? It was a virgin birth. Amen? It was a virgin birth. The Bible says a virgin shall conceive. Now, surprise, surprise, when you start leafing through all the new modern versions, they take out the word virgin. Wouldn't that be a surprise, right? Should it surprise us whatsoever that Satan tries to corrupt that in all these other modern versions, or should I say perversions of the Bible? They take out the word virgin and replace it with young woman. Well, folks, let me say this. Young woman isn't the same as a virgin. Amen? Let me tell you what that does. It's a sly attempt, or truth be told, an overt attempt to take away his deity. Amen. 
It seems to be in this day and age we're living, there's more people who disclaim the virgin birth than accept it. The liberals and modernists reject it. But let me tell you something, folks. The Bible talks about it. It was a wonderful birth because it was a virgin birth. Amen? Not only a virgin birth, it was a miraculous birth. Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Then said Mary to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God came upon Mary and placed uh, the, 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 the Christ child, within her womb. Now folks, that is a miracle. Amen? That is a miracle. It was a virgin birth. It was a miraculous birth. How about this? It was a prophetic birth. Isaiah chapter 7, again verse 14. This, this, was, uh, this prophecy was given to the prophet Isaiah uh, many hundreds of years before the Christ child was to come. Again, uh, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto thee, uh, me that's a, to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. That verse was written by the prophet Micah under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 700 years before the birth of Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. It was prophesied that a Messiah would come. By the way, did you ever think about this? How did the wise men know to look for Him? You ever think about that? How did they know to look for that, that star that was to lead them? i tell you why. They were looking for it. That's why. And truth be told, folks, the prophets prophesied when the Messiah was going to come. If they understood the Scripture, they would have known what to look for. The wise men got it. Most of Israel missed it. Amen? Because it was a prophetic birth. Not only that, it was an announced birth. In Luke chapter 2, and this is going to be along the lines of what we're going to preach about tonight, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Listen, those angels appeared to those shepherds, and we preached about the shepherds on, on Thursday night, and He appeared to the common man and announced the birth of the coming Savior. Amen? By the way, if the angels announced it then, I think we ought to be announcing it now. Amen? And by the way, we shouldn't, we're not just announcing His birth. We're announcing His life, what He came to do. We're, we're announcing the price He paid for us so that folks can have an opportunity to accept the greatest gift that's ever been given. Amen? A prophetic birth, an announced birth. You know what else? It was an anticipated birth. Again, we see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 31. After the verses of most of the Christmas, uh, famous Christmas passage we read, here's what the Bible says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. You know what? There were folks that were anticipating the birth of that Savior. By the way, you know who they were? The ones looking for it. Amen? By the way, you know what? There were a handful of people that anticipated His first coming. There ought to be more than a handful of His church anticipating His second coming. Amen? Listen, folks, I get it. We don't know the exact time, but the Bible says we're not ignorant. We are that day should not overtake us as a thief. And just as He came 2,000 years ago, He's about to come again. Amen? It ought to be an anticipated event. His first coming was, so should His second coming. We're talking about His wonderful name, talking about His wonderful birth. But folks, listen, it didn't end there. How about His wonderful life? His wonderful life. 
No doubt the life of Jesus Christ impacted those around Him. Impacted. I love reading the Gospels. I love making myself the 13th disciple. I love reading and seeing the reactions that Jesus caused everywhere He went. Now, though the Bible doesn't may give us a ton of details about His childhood and teenage years, it does give us some. It tells us that as a child, think about this, as a child, parents, are you hearing me? As a child, He had strength of spirit. He had wisdom. He had graciousness. He had a hunger of knowledge, a depth of understanding, and a clarity of purpose. Now, I get it. We're not raising little Jesuses, but I will say this. We ought to be raising our children to be just as much like Him as we can. Amen? And you know what? If those were found in the Christ child, I think that ought to give us some goals as a parents to attain to when it comes to teaching and training our children. By the way, we know some about His teenage years. The Bible says He increased in maturity. He increased with favor with God and man. He was, ready, ready, ready young people, subject to His parents. I'm going to park it here just for a second. Amen? Okay? Listen to me. If Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who was perfect, by the way, could subject Himself to His parents, what's your excuse? There is no excuse. Amen? The Bible still says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You say, well, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a child anymore. Really? You paying the mortgage? You paying the light bill? You buy groceries this week? You still, your parents taking care of you? Putting a roof over your head, food in your belly? Then guess what? Obey your parents. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you, if Jesus could do it, we can do it. You can do it. What's your excuse? Amen? The Bible says that he was subject to his parents as a teenager. He learned a wage-earning skill. That's interesting. Here Jesus was spent, think about this, alright, okay? I understand, he had a set time for his earthly ministry, okay? And all that, again, was prophetic, it all meant something. But he spent more time learning a wage-earning skill than he did ministry. Now that doesn't mean that uh, he, he, that was necessarily more valuable than ministry, because his ministry was his purpose for coming, we understand that. But all that to say, he thought it was important enough to take a time to learn a wage-earning skill. And again, I think it's important that we teach our young people things that, that's going to matter in this life. Amen? And by the way, this isn't a wage-earning skill. Oh, I can earn a living on YouTube. Okay, really? Okay, let me tell you something, folks. All right? Let's get our kids teaching them things that are going to matter. Amen? That are going to matter. He learned a wage-earning skill. By the way, he set the ultimate example that all young people should pattern their lives after. Amen? And that was just as a young man, as a teenager, when he reached the age of 30 years old. By the way, why did Jesus start his ministry at 30 and not 20? Why did he wait till then? I'll tell you why. Everything about Christ, there was a picture, it was a representation of something, right? What do you know about the priest in the Old Testament? Uh, in order to be a priest, you had to be 30 years old. Jesus, of course, was our great high priest. Amen? And he began that earthly ministry. He performed miracles. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. The Bible says he went about doing good. In fact, the Bible says that in John 21, verse 25, that there's so many things that Jesus did that if they should be written every one, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus Christ was the ultimate example. By the way, He still ought to be our example today. 
Amen. It's not just some cute little fad that went around back in the early 2000s, a little bracelet, WWJD. That's not just a fad. That ought to be something that we literally cause us to live our lives every single day. Amen? He is the ultimate example. He is the ultimate pattern. He had a wonderful name, a wonderful birth, and a wonderful life. Amen? But you know what? That wasn't again. I'm glad that's not all it was. Because had he just came and preached and taught and worked miracles, guess what, folks? It would have not impacted us today. But you know what? He didn't just come for those things. Let's talk about his wonderful sacrifice. Amen? His wonderful sacrifice. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, Who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Have you ever just taken time to think about His sacrifice? What it was He was willing to pay for His love for you and I. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If we'll take time and we'll think about that, you know what? That, 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 that'll do something to us. Amen? That'll cause us to want to love Him more. Think about the things He sacrificed. He sacrificed the adorations of heaven for the abominations of earth. The blessedness of heaven to the bruises of crucifixion's tortures on earth. The coronations of heaven to the condemnation of earth. The delights of heaven to the uh, defamations of earth. The excellencies of heaven to the execution of earth. Favor of the Father, Father's face to the fury of men's face. The glory place to the gory place. Hallelujahs of heaven to the hisses on earth. Intercessions of heaven to the injustices of earth. Joys of heaven to the jeers of the mobs of earth. Kindness of heaven to the killing of earth. Love of heaven to the lying accusations of mankind on earth. The majesties of heaven to the miseries of earth. The notableness of heaven to the nothingness of earth. The praises of heaven to the persecutions of earth. The quietness of heaven to the quarrelsomeness of earth. The riches of heaven to the reviling and ridicules of earth. The songs of heaven to the sneers and scars of earth. The throne of heaven for the tree of Calvary. The unison of heaven to the injustices of earth. The virtues of heaven to the vices of earth. The worship of angelic hosts to the homeless wanderings over earth and to the wrath of godless men. What a sacrifice our Savior sacrificed for us. Amen? Not to mention the price He paid as what He had to go through to pay our redemption. Amen? No wonder the Bible says that it's precious, that it's, that it's more valuable than anything of earth has to offer. Amen? What a wonderful sacrifice He made for us. By the way, He didn't have to. He didn't have to. He wasn't sacrificing for Himself. He was sacrificing because of His love for us. And because of those things, folks, how about this? His wonderful victory. Amen? His wonderful victory. Now, I'll tell you this. The world thinks we're crazy. By the way, that's okay with that. If you fit in with the world and they think you're not crazy, God's not okay with that. Okay? I'm glad the world thinks I'm crazy because that means that God thinks I'm right. Amen? Listen to me. How can you claim victory when your leader was mocked, beaten, tried for blasphemy, crucified on a cross like a common criminal? How in the world would that be considered victory? No one, humanly speaking, looked at the cross as a win. The disciples sure didn't. They were hiding out in fear. The soldiers didn't think uh, that that, uh, it was victorious. They thought Jesus was just another criminal. The Roman government didn't think it was victory, for to them, his supposed kingdom was vanquished when he died. Even sometimes, the, as you read in the Scripture, the angels didn't quite get it. The Bible says that they desired to look into the wonder of the Gospel. 
No one thought for one second that Jesus dying was going down in history as the greatest victory to ever be won. But oh how, three days later, those tables changed, amen? When the angel rolled the stone away, the keeper shaked it. The keeper did shake as a dead man, and our Savior under His own might, His own power, walked out of that grave, amen? Let me tell you something, folks. He already won the victory over our sin when He died on the cross, when He lifted up that cry and said it was finished. But the resurrection sealed the deal, amen? It proved true everything that He said about Himself. It was God's seal of approval and the ultimate declaration that Jesus Christ His Son had won the victory. Praise God for the wonder of His victory. Now here's the best part, folks. Because He had victory, guess what that means? That means you and I can also experience victory in our lives. Victory over sin. How about that, Christian? Amen? Well, I just can't help it. I just can't. Yes, we can. Amen? And I get it. We're never going to be sinless. But as I always say, we ought to be sinning less. Amen? We can have victory over sin because of His resurrection. Victory over death. Victory over the devil. Victory over circumstances. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All because of the wonders of Christmas. The wonder of His name the wonder of His birth, the wonder of His life, the wonder of His sacrifice, the wonder of His victory. That was introduction. Amen. You ready for the message? Here we go. Here's the message. What's it have to do with me? 2021, December, uh, the, the Sunday right before Christmas. What's that have to do with me? Here we go. You ready? Because of the wonders of Christmas, here's what it has to do with us. Number one, it ought to make us have a deeper love for the Savior. Amen. It ought to make us have a deeper love for the Savior. Here's a fair question for all of us, and I think I know how we'd answer if we're answering that out loud. If someone asks you, do you really love Jesus Christ? I think all of us would say yes. And by the way, I think we ought to say yes. But listen to me, it's not just about what we say. It's not just about what we say. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. The reason you can have the capacity to reciprocate love to Him is because of what He first did for us. Amen? Because of the love He showed for us. And that's the reason you can even love. But Jesus said this in Matthew 22, verse 37, Thou shalt... You ready? By the way, it's a command. Alright, it's a command. Get out of your mind that the only thing God expects from you are ten things. Okay? Now, are those things important? You better believe they're important. But there's more to them than that, I can tell you that. Amen? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt, it's a command, what shalt thou do? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Let me tell you something, folks. The first and greatest commandment that God wants from all of His children is to love Him that way. Amen? With all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. That is an absolute, supreme, number one spot in our life, love. That's what that is. And by the way, without apology, He demands love from us that way. And you know what? He has a right to. Amen? He has a right to. Now here's where, here's where it comes down to where we live at. All right, well, we say we love Him. Well, here's what Jesus said. If you love me, okay, so you say you do. If you love me, finish it with me, church. You ready? Keep my commandments. See you know what that means? True love is more than what we say. It's what we do. Amen? It's what we do. I mean, come on, husbands. You say you love your wife, and I'm sure you, you, know, you say you do. I mean, that's what we got to go on. But does your wife know that you love her? I mean, well, you know, I, I tell her once a year, that ought to be enough. 
Okay, sorry. That, that, I don't know about y'all. I don't work at my house, okay? All right? By the way, you know, I, I like uh, the old saying, happy wife, happy life. How about this? Happy spouse, happy house. Amen? All right? Listen to me, folks. You know what? Uh, uh, what proves our love is the actions that back it up. Now, I'm not saying, again, we're not talking about working our way for salvation. We're talking about our relationship with Him once we are saved. Amen? And you know what? We ought to be proven our love for Him. And when you think about the Savior, have a relationship with the Savior, spend time with Him every day, it ought to make you want to love Him more. Amen? Have a deeper love for the Savior. Hey, do you love Jesus more this year than you did last year? You love Jesus more this week than you did last week? You love Him more today than you did yesterday? We ought to, amen? That relationship with Him ought to be growing, amen? Have a deeper love for the Savior. Number two, how about this? Just as Jesus helps us, you know what? Let's reciprocate that to somebody else. Find someone else to help. Now, I know this is super easy, practical stuff. But you know what? That's what I like about the Bible, amen? It's super easy, practical. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, I believe this certainly means helping in a tangible way. You know, there are certain people God will bring across your path He wants you to do something for. By the way, you know what? We ought to be looking for those opportunities. This week, a couple of those opportunities crossed the path of my family. And you know what? By God's grace, we took those opportunities because God allowed them to cross our path. Let me just say, we ought to be looking for ways to help people in a tangible way. But listen, don't miss this. We ought to use the tangible then to help with the eternal. Let me show you, okay? Take your Bibles real quick. Go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to show you how this proves out. And this is what God wants you to do. Because if God is sending someone across your path to help in a physical, maybe monetary or other way, listen, don't get away from that opportunity without turning it to the eternal. Because that's really what it's all about. By the way, when Jesus would heal people, He would deal with their physical infirmities, but He always dealt with their spiritual infirmities as well. Amen? That's what we ought to be concerned about. Notice here, Acts chapter 3, and uh, beginning in uh, uh, verse 6. And well, let's, uh, let's back it up to verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Now, Okay, uh, you may say to yourself, does the Bible have proof that, uh, uh, that the early apostles were Baptists? Yes, it does. Here it is. You ready? Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. There you go. Amen? No, just kidding. All right, just kidding. No, uh, Peter, uh, they ask. He asked something. He was asking an alm. He was asking something monetary. Peter, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them to the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now listen, I get it. We don't have the power the apostles had. By the way, those apostolic gifts that they had were for the apostles for the kickstart of the early church. And by the time the church was started, almost all of those gifts were gone. They died out with the apostles. That's why today, if someone comes with some physical infirmity, we don't have the power to do as they did and command the physical infirmity to leave them. By the way, no one on earth has that kind of power. 
Isn't it interesting to me that all the faith healers, none of them are at the hospital trying to heal people? They only want to heal if, if you come with money. Now, come on, folks, don't fall for that stupid stuff that's out there. Amen? Listen to me. You know what you find out here? You find that Peter and John, they, they went immediately to the problem of the spiritual problem. And you know what? By the way, helping him spiritually, they in turn helped him physically. Amen? Let me just say this. You know what? We must look for opportunities that God gives us to help folks, but do so in such a way, focus on the eternal need. Amen? Focus on the eternal need. And again, folks, that's what the outreach programs are about that we do here. That's why we have certain things we do, how we do them. For example, when we do our, our uh, ministry out at the fair, okay, uh, we, uh, we do some things to try to, you know, uh, 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 help folks physically a little bit, I guess you could say, the balloons, the popsicles, the things like that to get the kids over. But it's not just about giving someone a balloon or a popsicle. You know what it's about? It's about talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about putting a gospel track in their hand, talking to them about the Lord, talking to him about the church. Listen, folks, that must go hand in hand. So as you go through the Christmas season and all seasons of life, as God brings people across your path, by the way, help, amen, if you can. Now, I get it. There's certain circumstances that you got to use wisdom about. I understand that, folks, all right? And I know sometimes we live in a society where people have a, uh, my name's Jimmy, I'll take all you give me attitude, okay? I understand that. And you got to use wisdom when dealing with that kind of stuff. But I will say this, if you're going to err, err on the side of compassion. Amen. You say, preacher, have you been taken advantage of a few times? Sure. Absolutely I have. But you know what? I would rather still have a heart to try to help people get taken advantage of than have a stingy heart that's all about me and myself. Amen? Amen. And so use wisdom. Look for those opportunities. But by the way, when God brings them across your path, He's probably doing it for a reason. Amen? So look for the help, folks, and then uh, not just physically, but eternally. And then last of all, let me give you this, and we'll close out this morning. What's all the wonders of Christmas? What's His wonderful name, His birth, His life, His sacrifice, His victory have to do with us? You ready? How about this? Through Jesus Christ, we ought to be winning victories in our life. Amen? Through Jesus Christ, we ought to be winning some victories. Hey, by the way, have you figured this out yet, folks? God isn't on the losing side. Okay? God's not on the losing side. God, for whatever reason, for whatever purpose, has allowed mankind and the world to do what it's going to do. He's allowed that. Through His, uh, His sovereignty, He's allowed mankind through their free will to live the way they live. You ever wondered yourself before, well, if I were God, I'd strike that person dead. That's all fine and dandy till it comes something stupid we do. Then we want God to show mercy, not strike us dead. Right? Okay, so don't play that if I'm God card. Okay, we're not. We'll never be. Okay? God knows what He's doing. He can handle it. Amen? But folks, let me say this. It may look pretty dark and bleak out there. By the way, here's the famous tagline I've been saying for the last several years. It's not falling apart. It's falling in place. God knows what's going on. And when this thing's said and done, God ain't going nowhere. He's always going to be on His throne and He's winning this thing. Amen? So you know what that means? If we're on His side, guess what that means for us? We're going to win this thing. Okay? And you know what? Yes, we're talking about ultimately as God's plan plays out for eternity. But you know what? Even in the Christian life, God expects us to be winning more than we're losing. Now I get it. You may not always bat a thousand, okay? Now that's why the Bible says a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. None of us have ever got it right all the time. But again, we ought to be having more wins on our record than losses. Because let me tell you something, folks. When you got saved, some amazing things happened in your life. 
Some amazing things. The first amazing thing that happened, praise God, our sins got washed away. Amen? The righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to our account. The Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of us, and God has given us the position to set in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That phrase in and of itself is a whole series of messages. Let me tell you what that means, folks. God has given us as Christians spiritual authority over the powers of darkness to win victories for Him. Now, I'm not saying that in a cocky, arrogant way. I'm saying that through a dependent upon God way. But we need to quit losing these battles God uh, put us in to win. Amen? Amen? Romans chapter 8. Flip over there real quick. I want to close out with this passage of Scripture. And this is, again, a powerful passage of Scripture here. All power, all Scripture is powerful. Amen? Because it's the Word of God. But notice what he says here. Romans chapter 8. I want to show you this. I want to, I want to leave this thought with you as we go into this Christmas season and, and the Lord allows us to go into a new year. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Notice the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he lists the things that, humanly speaking, most people think can separate them. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. By the way, these were all real things the early Christians were facing. Okay, and you know what? To them, maybe some of them were thinking, "Is this worth it? Is this really, you know, are we are we really living the life that that that, that that's going to matter? I mean, is God really the one that won this thing?" That's what they were thinking, I'm sure, as they were facing these things. Verse thirty-six: As it is written, "For thy sake we are killed all the day long; we are counted as sheep for the slaughter." Now, that in context of our day and age, as we sit here in the freedom of America, may not mean a lot to us. But those early Romans were seeing their brothers and sisters impaled on stakes, lit as torches, to light Nero's gardens. They saw that stuff. They lived in that stuff. Amen? So when it said they were killed all the day long, we were counted sheep to the slaughter, it wasn't just something they read about. It's something they lived. Okay? Now notice verse 37, because this is where I'm going. Nay, in all these things, so it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter whether it's tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. In all these things, and by the way, if it's all in all of those things, it's for dead sure in anything we face in our day and age. Amen? Nay, in all these things, you ready, church? Here we go. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Amen. By the way, we're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Why? Here you go. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. By the way, talking about spiritual darkness right there the, the, in, in the spirit realm. What it is that we're fighting this battle against. None of those things. Nor present, nor things present, nor things to come. And then if there was anything else to name, he names them right here. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you what that's called. Living on the victory side is what that's called. Okay, and let me just say this. You say, preacher, you seem pretty fired up about that. You better believe I'm fired up about it. Because I'm going to tell you, we need to be winning victories. Amen? Let me tell you what this lost, dark world needs to see. It needs to see God's people on the winning side. Amen? And by that, I don't mean big, fat bank accounts, driving new Mercedes, having gold faucets and gold toilets in our houses. That's a bunch of garbage stuff. Amen? I'm talking about living a life where there's joy and there's happiness and there's a change and we're impacting the people we live around, the people we work with. Amen? That's the victory we need to be having. So you know what, church? Let's win some victories. By the way, we can. You know why? Because baby Jesus didn't stay a baby. That's why. 
He grew up. He lived that perfect sinless life. He gave His life on Calvary. He rose from the grave. He made us a promise of His return. He made us a promise of the indwelling of His Spirit. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We have no excuse not to be winning. Amen? So how about it? Let's get charged up. Let's get fired up. Let's win some victories in our life. Why can we do that? Because of a wonderful name. Because of a wonderful birth. Because of a wonderful life. A wonderful sacrifice. And because of His wonderful victory. Let's pray.